We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. And so church, I'm excited this morning as we are starting a series called Gospel Generosity. Uh, Gospel Generosity. And in this series, we are going to be focusing in on what it means to live generously in response to the gospel. Now, right now, I said the word generous and I felt the whole room tense up. Everybody said just, <laughs> just everybody in, in the nose, out the mouth one time. <sighs> Say it's going to be all right. Tell your neighbor we're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. I, I, I find it interesting that we always tense up when we, when we talk about generosity or giving. There's always two things people don't want to talk about at church. That's their money and politics. I'll come to church and you can call me a reprobate heathen every week, but please don't talk about money. And uh, well, listen, one of the reasons we're going to talk about it is because Jesus talked about it. Matter of fact, apart from the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about money almost more than anything else. Whether he was referencing it in a parable, using it to teach, he talked about it all the time. And uh, so I, what I want you to do this morning is right now that tendency that rose up in you that's also uh, done the same in me a few times this week, to lean back and go, oh, I want you to fight that. I want you to lean in. I want us to lean in together, okay? This is, this is something that that is for the church, it is from God's Word, and it is applicable for our lives today. And I believe as our hearts get wrapped around this issue of gospel generosity, I believe it will become transformative in our life, and, and it'll, it'll change us. And so lean in with me this morning as we start to look at what it means to live with gospel generosity. Uh, Pastor Todd shared an article with me this week uh, uh, that was kind of talking about the connection between um, people who live generously and success. And it was from a website called lifehack.org. And essentially, they're kind of painting the picture that says generous people are often successful people. And they kind of gave seven reasons why that's true. There were kind of seven reasons why success fills the life of generous people. Just very quickly, I want to share those with you, and, and you tell me if any of these connect with you. The first reason they give while, for why generous people are successful people is this, because generous people are happy people. They're happy people. Do you know what you're not going to find? You're going to, you're going to have to look really hard to find someone who is super generous and an absolute grouch. You're just going to have a hard time finding that person, all right? Uh, There's just hard to find somebody who lives open-handed generously, and at the same time is super grumpy. Um, but generous people are usually happy people. Here's the second reason. Generous people are more relaxed, more relaxed. One of the greatest stressors in life is this. 
the feeling that you need more. That's a stressful feeling. I've been in that season. I've been to where I thought, man, if we just had a little bit, we'd be over the hump. Anybody ever have to it just, oh, you've just done the, if we could just get over the hump sermon, you wake up, you preach that sermon to you, just got to get over the hump, right? And then you never get over the hump, and it's this perpetual stress in your, this, this financial stress that you have, a feeling like you just need a little more. It says generous people are just more relaxed. They live differently that way. Generous people, here's the third one, are willing to work hard. I like this one. What, essentially what they said is, they're willing and happy to work hard for what they have and not look for shortcuts. I like that. Here's a fourth one. Generous people are kind people. I think that goes without saying, but generosity is all about kindness. It's all about kindness. Number five, gener generous people are free people. They're free people. Now think about this one for a moment. Tell me this. This is not a religious website. This person who wrote this is not a believer. But tell me if this doesn't have gospel implications in it. Generous people are free people. This was the sentence they said. The strongest prisons in the universe are those built of greed and want and selfishness. Wow. And then here's the next line that he said. To break the chains, become generous. I thought, man, that's the gospel right there. This is amazing, right? Here's the, here's the sixth one. Generous people have better relationships. Have better relationships. So happy, kind, generous people have more friends. They have better friends. They have stronger personal relationships. And here's the last one. Generous people are confident people. Confident people. Here's why. Because generous people do not get their self-worth from what they have, but rather from what they can help others have. Wow. So I, I read, and then I read multiple articles this week. There were some that were connecting the line between generosity and mental health and healthy living and all of this stuff. And I thought, even the world understands that generosity has all of these amazing benefits, it gives better relationships. It, it causes you to be in a better place emotionally and mentally and all, all of that. But for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a deeper meaning. We have a more meaningful, more satisfying, more life-giving reason to live as generous people. We're inspired by something else. And we see that reason and that inspiration in the key verse that we're going to focus in on for this entire series, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. So why don't you grab your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And here's what God's Word says. In, in this verse is the inspiration, it's the reason behind the generosity believers should have and live with. Paul says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the inspiration. That's the inspiration. Believers in Jesus Christ are to be generous people in response to the generosity we have received from Jesus. That's the inspiration. That's the reason. That's where it comes from. And it's okay that we're going to have stronger relationships. That's great. 
It's okay that we're going to live lives as kind people, less stressed, not focused on things that don't matter, having a better mental and and, uh, physical health, emotional health. All of that is good. None of those are the reasons. Those are the benefits. The reason is because we have experienced the kindness of Jesus Christ and the generosity of Jesus Christ, who through God's word tells us, though he was rich, made himself poor so that through his poverty, I might become rich. That's the inspiration for generosity in the believer's heart. That's the foundation. That's where it starts. So, some of the clearest teachings that we're going to see in the entire Bible on generosity is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. So we're going to navigate through those over the weeks ahead. And here's what you're going to find. This is Paul. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, and he is asking them to participate in an offering that he is taking up for the church in Jerusalem. That's what he's doing. And he's, he's made this request of the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, and they committed that they would do it. And so now he's following up with that and, and, and holding them accountable to keep their word and to participate in this offering. And here's why. Because the church in Jerusalem was struggling. They were, they were poor. They were under oppression. They were under Roman oppression. If you were a Christian in Jerusalem at this time, it had implications all over your life. For instance, you were not allowed in the temple. You were often fired from your job, didn't have a place in the marketplace. It was difficult for you to get a job. This was the life of the believers in Jerusalem. And Paul is asking these churches like Corinth to participate in an offering for them to help sustain them and to get them through. And he does this by taking them back to the gospel. Why? Because Paul wants the church in Corinth to see, and I think for us to see this morning, that generosity is the right response to the gospel. It is the right response to the gospel. So look again there at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now let's start in verse 1. And let's uh, read through verse 9. Paul says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
Lord Jesus, I'm asking now that you would illuminate your word. Father, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. God, we, we need to hear your voice today. God, I pray that you would keep our spirits leaning in toward you. So Holy Spirit, would you just move in this place? Would you move in this room? Would you speak to us today in Jesus' name? Amen. So Paul begins this teaching on generosity by giving the church at Corinth an example of what gospel-centered generosity looks like. He tells them about the church in Macedonia and the offering that they gave to their struggling brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul describes the generosity of the Macedonian church as a grace of God. I think there's two things to be captured there. One, it was an evidence of, of God's grace in them. So it was something they had experienced and it had changed their life. And it was an outpouring of God's grace through them. Meaning because they had been changed, they were compelled to give and see others changed. This generosity we see from the Macedonian church, it didn't come from a place of guilt or, or a place of excess. There was a different motivation. This generosity was motivated by the grace of God that they had received in Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive off into the deep end of the pool, I want to tell you a couple of things. One, if you're here this morning and your confession would be, just right now on the front end of this sermon, you would say, hey, this is an area of struggle for us. You don't have to raise your hand. You know if it's an area of struggle for you. I want to tell you that for me and for my family, uh, in our early years of marriage, this was an area of struggle for us. Okay? It was an area where we struggled to walk in obedience. We just did. Because we believed the lies the enemy wanted us to believe. Which is, we'll do better the more of our money we keep. Things will be better. We'll get over the hump. We told ourselves lies like, well, we'll give a little if we have a little left. Can I just tell you, there's always too much month at the end of the money, all right? There always is. That's just the way it's going to be. But I want to tell you this morning, if your confession is, this is a struggle for us. It's a struggle for me. Okay, don't lean away. Know that you're in good company because everybody in this room has probably struggled with this teaching at some point. Every one of us. So what I'm telling you is this morning, you can hit reset. You can start again. You could say, you know what, today I want to hear this truth and I, I, I want to walk in a new obedience. I want to tell you there is blessing for you here. There's blessing for you here and we're not going to give out of guilt. Would anybody in this room uh, with me confess that there have been times where, yes, you have given, but it was straight out of guilt because you didn't want to feel bad? Anybody? Just me, the only sinner? That's fine. That's fine. No big deal. No big deal. Right? You, you give because... You knew you didn't want to feel bad, right? It was a sense of guilt. Somebody made you feel like you needed to give. I think when we look at what Paul is teaching this morning, what he is showing the, Corinth, the church in Corinth by the example of the church in Macedonia, what he is saying is they didn't give out of guilt. They didn't give out of excess. They gave in response to the grace of God. And because of that, they became a grace of God for others. 
And that's what I want you to know this morning. As you walk in obedience to give, you become a grace of God in someone's life. So, I think there's four things that we see this morning. Four examples from the Macedonian church. Four indicators of gospel-centered generosity. What does it look like? I think the first thing is this. It is an unconditional generosity. It's an unconditional generosity. Look at verse 2. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He says this Macedonian church is in a severe test of affliction. Now, wait a minute. He, he just said in verse 1 that I want to tell you about the grace of God that's been given in the Macedonian church. So they've experienced the grace of God. They're being used as the grace of God. And Paul says, but, that, but they're in a season of severe affliction. Now, what are we to make of that? This isn't the sermon today, but it is important to know because the Holy Spirit hit me like a mallet in the chest with this this week, and that is this. God's grace isn't given to, to take me out of affliction. It is given to see me through affliction. Okay? Someone in this room, you are in a season of affliction and you have believed the lie that God's grace is far from you or his presence is far from you because you're still in a season of struggle. And I'm telling you, it's in the season of struggle where God wants to engage you with his grace, not always to just snatch you out of it, but to see you through it. That's what he was doing with the Macedonian church. It says, I want to, Paul said, I want to tell you about the grace of God in them and through them. And oh, by the way, they are in the middle of severe affliction. So their generosity was unconditional. Paul says, um, and it just blows, he does, this, he does this gospel equation that blows my mind. So I want you to walk through this with me. He says they are in severe affliction. Now, in Macedonia, so the churches in Macedonia in this area were the, the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. That's where they were. They were dealing with economic depression. They were also dealing with Roman oppression. It was a war-torn area. They were dealing with severe affliction. And it says that led to extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Now, why would Paul use that word? extreme to describe the measure of poverty that the people in Macedonia were, were, were dealing with and living in. The word he used for poverty does not describe doing without or simply not being rich. It's the word used to describe destitute beggars. That's the word he used. He's saying these people are in affliction and that affliction has made them destitute beggars. That, that's who is in the Macedonian church right now. We don't see this level of poverty. We rarely see this level of poverty. I, the first time I really feel like I saw it in a way that it, um, that it just impacted me deeply was when I went to Africa in 2016, and we got off the plane in Rwanda, went to the hotel, woke up the next morning, left the hotel, and within 10 seconds of pulling out of the gate of the hotel, I saw destitute poverty like I had never seen before. The first building I walked into that wasn't a hotel was a legitimate mud hut. It was a legit mud hut that was 
very tiny. The only thing in it was a cot, a few pots and pans, and there was a rug on the floor uh, and a table that was set up where they had communion elements. And in that mud hut, we had church with about 25 people. It was the most glorious worship experience I think I've ever had. I'm I'm not kidding. There was an abundance of joy in that place. But we don't necessarily see this, but Paul is painting a picture. Severe affliction, destitute poverty. And then he says, uh, and, but, but right before that, he said there was an abundance of joy. Now, the word abundance paints a different picture. Extreme poverty says destitute beggar. Abundant joy says overflowing with gladness. <laughs> That, that word abundance that he uses, he used it another place in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, when he described the measure of grace we had been given in Jesus Christ. He said, in Christ you have been given abundant grace, overflowing, unmeasurable. It's, that's the same word he chose to describe the joy of the believers in the Macedonian church. An abundant joy. And then he says, that has become in them a wealth of generosity. So think about this. Their affliction was severe. Their poverty was extreme. Yet in the middle of that, their joy was abundant, and that led to a wealth and an overflowing of generosity. God, make us a church like that. Make us a church like that. Amen? Make us that church, Lord. How is that possible? Because when you have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel, when you have experienced 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, who though he was rich became poor so that for your sake so that through his poverty you might become rich, when you've been moved from spiritual poverty to spiritual abundance, when that has happened in your life, your generosity shifts from circumstantial to unconditional. There's a shift. For many of us, our, our circumstances define our generosity. And listen, I want you to hear me say as, I, as we navigate through together this morning, this is an area of that, this was an area of struggle for us. I don't want to stand here from a place that says, Hey, five seconds after I became a believer, I tithe 10% and I've done it faithfully for all those years and bless. No, I just, I'm not going to do that. It's an area of struggle. But for too many of us, we let the circumstance define the generosity. If the conditions are right, if there's enough left over, if everything else is taken care of, then maybe. And when we do that, Conditional generosity is not gospel-centered generosity. Conditional generosity is not gospel-centered generosity. Paul says our generosity is not based on or born from the conditions in our lives being perfect. Church, we are going to experience affliction. It's going to happen. You are going to go through seasons that are difficult There may be a season of affliction or of poverty in your future. You may be in the middle of one now, and I am telling you, God's Word is painting a picture that says, those circumstances do not get to define your generosity, but rather, what you have received in Jesus Christ gets to define those circumstances. 
That's the picture Paul is painting for us. Our, our generosity, our, our open-handedness is not conditional. It's supernatural. Why? Because what we've received in Jesus Christ is supernatural. Amen? So it's an unconditional generosity. That's the first thing I think we see. Severe affliction, extreme poverty, yet because of Jesus, abundance of joy. Here's what I would tell you. Your joy in Jesus is always going to outweigh the, the, the difficult situation you're in, which is why this church was able to be in that situation, yet overflow with joy and become generous. First thing we see is unconditional generosity. Here's the second thing we see. We see a radical generosity. A radical generosity. Look at verse 3. It says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, did you see that? Paul said they gave according to their means and then beyond their means. Now, that's incredible. Now, remember, these believers in Macedonia were in extreme poverty. Paul's already told us this, which means that the amount they gave was probably not overwhelming. I don't believe for one minute that Paul walked out of Macedonia with sacks of money going, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much these poverty-stricken people gave. So why does he say they gave to their means and above their means and it was an overflow of generosity? Because the amount they gave was not the point. The magnitude of their generosity had little to do with the amount and everything to do with the sacrifice. Come on, we got to get this this morning. Church, the measure of our generosity is not in how much we give, but in what it cost us to give it. That's hard. That's a hard teaching. And it's hard because it's easy to give um, when there's plenty to give from. It's easy to give when we can give and not feel it. Right? I know I'm meddling. I know it. I know. I know I am. I get it. But it's easy to give when we can give and not feel it. Paul said there was an overflow of generosity because they gave to their means and then beyond their means. Understand, severe affliction, extreme poverty, destitute beggars, which tells me they didn't give a ton of money, but what they gave mattered because of what it cost them to give it. That is kingdom economics. That's what that is. Jesus taught on this as well. Look at Mark chapter 12. Just very quickly. Turn to Mark chapter 12 with me. We're going to start in verse 41. This is the story of the widow's might. You have heard this. Uh, Jesus is at the temple um, with his disciples. And uh, in verse 41, here's what it says in Mark 12. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty and has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What was Jesus teaching his disciples right there? That, that in kingdom economics, the measure and significance of your generosity is not found in how much you give, but in the sacrifice you made to give it. Gospel-centered generosity is something we are going to feel. Jesus said she put in a penny, a penny, something you and I don't even bend over to pick up off the street. And yet when she dropped it, Jesus called his disciples. He said, guys, come here right now. Come here. You see that penny that just went in? That's the most important thing that has gone into that box all day. That penny. Why? Because she had to make a plan for that penny to go into the box. She had to do without something she needed or something she wanted for that penny to go into the box. I know I've seen bags of money go in. I saw it just like you saw it. But here's the reason I didn't tell you about those bags. Because that came out of an abundance that that person won't even feel. That penny, she's going to feel it. That is radical generosity. That's what, think, think about that. Jesus took the time to call his disciples over to talk about a penny. Because for this lady, it was radical. It was radical. These, these believers in Macedonia gave to their means, but Paul said they gave above their means, and not because we begged them of their own accord. So here's what I want you to take away from this. It is this radical generosity requires a plan. It requires a plan. What do I mean? You are not going to accidentally become a generous person. It's not going to happen. You're not going to look back one day and go, hey, about five or six years ago when Pastor Matt preached about generosity, I just became a generous person. Look at that. Look at this magical years of giving. No, it doesn't happen. You got to make a plan for that stuff, which means what? When you sit down and budget out your dollars, giving is a part of it. You put it in there. We are going to give. And when it comes to your tithe, you give that first. I know, I'm about to say something, and some of you are going to want to maul me like a puma on a cupcake. I know you are. Okay? But I mean what I say when I say you can live better off of 90% of your income than you can off 100. I mean that. Now you, everything in your flesh went, nah. That dude needs a rudimentary math class stat. But in kingdom economics, it's true. It's true. And I'm telling you, this hasn't something, been something we've always gotten right. But radical generosity requires a plan. You can tell your money where to go, or it'll just tell you where it went. Can I tell you some of the most sobering things Carrie and I have ever done? Is when we backtrack through our bank account. Because, you know, you can see everything now. You, you use the card, man. It's all there. You backtrack, and you look at that, and you go... How many times did we go to Chick-fil-A? Did, did, what? We spent that. And then you start doing math in your head, and your brain starts to melt. You start bleeding out the eyes because you can't, but you, you start seeing all of this wasted money. 
You can tell it where to go or it'll tell you where it went. What am I saying? Radical generosity requires a plan. The widow's might required a plan. Jesus says she put in everything she had to live on, which means she was about to change how she lived in order to do that. There was an unconditional generosity. There was a radical generosity. Let me just ask you this question, and I want to move on to the next point, and that is this. Do you feel your giving? That's a heavy question, right? Do you feel your giving? Do you give in such a way that you feel it? That, that you have to make other decisions in your life so that you can be more generous? Do you live open-handed? Is your giving sacrificial? Does it, does it cost you something? That's the picture Paul is painting. It's unconditional and it is radical. And it's also radical in this sense. It's not going to make sense to anybody. But it is the way we have been called to live. Here's the second, the third thing, excuse me, I want you to see. There was an eager generosity, an eager generosity. Look at this. He says, for they, in verse three, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now I got to read verse four again, because your brain probably did what my brain did, which is didn't, didn't just, just blew right past it. Didn't, it didn't comprehend what just happened. Paul said, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the sin. They begged Paul. They begged him to let them participate in this offering, which tells me what? Paul knew that the church in Jerusalem was struggling. He knew that the church in Corinth had means. And though he made the church in Macedonia aware of the issue, he probably didn't ask them for money. And yet they begged him to participate. They said, Paul, no, I know, we're, I know when you look at us, we don't look like much. We are poor people and we are struggling, but please don't pass us over. Let us be a part of this. Eager generosity is a mark of spiritual maturity. That's what it is. What do you mean, Matt? What, what, is, what do you mean? I mean, in order for you to be eager to live generously, something has shifted in your heart and you have seen what you have different. You don't, you don't see it as yours anymore. You see it as a resource to be used for the kingdom. You see it as life-changing opportunity for somebody else. It passes through the filter of the grace you have received and it becomes a grace for someone else and you become eager to be a part of that. some statistics I want to share with you about giving in the church. This is not new beginnings, though it is, we, we, we fall in line with some of this. In 2015, listen to this, 247 million Americans identified as Christian. 247 in our country identified as Christian. Of that 247 million, 1.5 million gave a tithe gave the 10% that God's Word set as the, as the foundation of our giving. It's the beginning of our giving. 1.5, that is just above a half of 1%. In 2018, American Christians, this is us, the most wealthy nation in the world, American Christians gave less than 3% of their income to the mission of God. Less than 3%. 
What is the basis? What's the bottom? Where does, Jesus, where does God's word say it begins? It begins at 10. We, we gave less than 3%. This is the one that floored me. Listen to this. If Christians tithed, if that 250 million people gave the 10% that God's word sets as the standard of our giving, there would be an, adi- an additional 165 billion, with a B, dollars available for the mission of God. Why take time to even share those numbers? It's like, Matt, that's super depressing. <laughs> Why take time to share those numbers? Because I think it, it demonstrates that there is an issue in the church. There's a, there's a spiritual issue in the church. If there is an apprehension in your heart, if you are apprehensive to live generously, that's a spiritual issue. It's a warning sign. It's, it's the warning sign going up that something's wrong in your heart. If you live closed-handed, that's an issue. And Paul is painting this picture of this church who had nothing, and yet their hands were open. And he was saying, hey, church in Corinth, you committed to an offering. Now be like the Macedonians and step in. Be a part of it. Don't miss the blessing. Give unconditionally. Give radically. And be eager to do it. There was an unconditional generosity. There was a radical. And then there was this eager generosity. Now, I'm going to tell you, We've, we've, got, we've got three kiddos, uh, two, of, two boys at home now, uh, not once in the ever history of ever, not one time ever in their life have they come to me and begged for the opportunity to be generous. Hadn't done it yet. Waiting for the day, guys. Maybe they'll do it soon. <laughs> Where they'll come and go, hey, Dad, pretty please, would you mind if I gave what I have to my brother? <laughs> like I laugh saying it because it just makes me laugh. Right? Anybody, anybody, your kids, maybe your kids aren't sinners. Maybe your kids came and was like, hey, mom and dad, I, I really need you to let me be generous, please. Pretty please. <laughs> now, they love it when I make the other one be generous, right? I make him be generous to them. Now, that feels like the spirit at work at our house. And so my point is this. This is not something that just naturally occurs in us. This is, a, this is, this is deeper than our flesh wanting to do something good. This is supernatural. This is the work of the Spirit. This is a recognition that I've received a grace, and that grace has transformed how I see everything that I have, and now it's flip-flopped, and now I see everything that I have as an opportunity to give that grace to someone else. And not only do I want to give without, I don't want my circumstances to define it. I want to give beyond my means. Not only that, I want to be eager about it because I'm starting to discover that as I give, There is a blessing that occurs in my life. There's a liberty that occurs in my life that nothing compares to. So they gave unconditionally, they gave radically, and they gave eagerly. Here's the last one. It was a complete generosity. Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And in verse 5 he says this, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord... And then by the will of God to us. Even Paul was taken by surprise at the generosity of these poor struggling believers in Macedonia. He said this was not what we expected. So how were they able to give this way? 
Where did this generosity come from? It came from verse 5. Paul said, here's how they did it. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then, by God's will, they gave themselves to us. Gospel-centered generosity is not about giving your money to the Lord. It is about giving the Lord everything. Your all. All of it. Your time. Your talent. Your resources. Your passion. Your family. Your job. And yes, your money. Why? Because when Jesus gets us, He gets all of us. That's what Paul is saying. It was a complete generosity. He said, before they gave the first nickel to this offering, they gave themselves to the Lord. The gospel of Jesus is transformative. It's it's transformative, meaning this, there's no part of our life, there is no slice of your life the gospel leaves untouched. And if it is, if, there, if, if you've created compartments where the gospel hasn't had its influence, then I want to love you and I want to tell you, you are walking outside of obedience to the call of God in your life. The gospel is transformative, meaning it's got to touch everything. When Jesus called his disciples, what did he say? He said, if you want to come on, come on. But you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, and then you're going to follow me. And if you will deny anyone who wants to save his life is going to lose it. Because if you lose your life for my sake, then that's when you will find it. Here's what that translated to Paul in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Jesus said, if you want to be a part of this gospel, then this gospel means you lose your life, and in losing it, you'll find it. And Paul says, when I found it, I wanted to die to everything else so that I could attain it. It changed everything. In Romans 12:1, Paul said this. He said, I appeal to you, brothers. He's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, brothers, I appeal to you. By the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a what? Say this with me. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. When we give ourselves as a living sacrifice and we are obedient to whatever God wants to do in us and whatever God wants to do through us, that is is when we are liberated to open our hands in complete surrender to Him and in complete generosity toward His mission through the church. I want you to know the second verse right after that, Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, 2. Says, he says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is how you worship. This is your spiritual worship. And he says this, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be like this. He said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that through the testing of your faith, you will know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Which is to say what? 
My living sacrifice tells me what the will of God is. When I get this right, I, my vision clears. <laughs> All of a sudden, I see what I'm supposed to be doing. The Macedonian church, Paul said, they gave themselves first to the Lord, living sacrifice, and then by the will of God, suddenly they saw the will of God, they gave themselves to us. That's what Paul just said. How did they do that? They did Romans 12, 1 and 2. They offered their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, and then through the testing of their faith were able to see and prove what is the perfect will of God and walk in obedience to it. So let me ask you this morning, does Jesus have all of you? Does he have all of you? I confess to you on the front end that this issue has been an issue in our life before, and we've had to make adjustments along our journey to get it right. I'm asking you this morning, does Jesus have all of you? Pastor Matt, I serve. We come to church. We go to life group. We lead a life group. We went on mission last year. Uh, we teach the kids. We greet, we, we do, we... Does Jesus have all of you? Are you able to live generously because you've been transformed by a generous Savior? Does He have all of you? If not, hear me say, I said it at the beginning, I'm saying it now. Right now, this morning, you can hit reset. You can start again. You say, God, I need to get this right. I need to get this right. I need to remember 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I need to know the grace of Jesus. I've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul says to the church, for you know the grace of the Lord. That though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Does he have all of you? When I come to the end of this thing, whenever that is, many, 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 many years from now, when I come to the end, I hope they can say, I loved Jesus more than anything, and I loved my family, and I lived open-handed. I hope they can say that. I'm confessing there's been times where I'm, I hope they can say that. I want them to be able to say that. How do I get there? starts right here. I live every day with the generosity I have received from Jesus Christ in mind, and it helps to, to break me out of the prisons of selfishness, out of the prisons of want, out of the prison of I need more, off the chain of, of we don't have enough. I can break through those chains, and I can open my hands and live generously. So that's the first question. Are you walking in obedience to what God's commanded? Here's the second question I want you to ask. Have you been transformed by this gospel? You can't walk in this until you have met the person of Jesus Christ and you've made him your Lord and Savior. So has there been that moment in your life where you met Jesus and you received the free gift of salvation and he transformed your heart? If that has not happened, in just a moment, when Zach starts to sing, I need you to get up from your seat and walk straight down here to where I am. We'll have some ministers here. I just want you to come right here. Our elders will be. I want you to get up where you are and come. If you need us to pray and ask God to give you a new purpose in giving, 
Come, we'll pray for you. If you need to meet Jesus Christ for the first time, come, we'll pray, we'll help you do that. I want to live open-handed. That begins with a recognition of, of the generosity that I've received. Amen. Let's pray and let's stand and let's respond. Lord Jesus, I love you and I'm so thankful for the power of your word. God, I, I, I just ask right now that in Jesus' name you would move, that you would give us the courage of obedience, God, that you would give us the uh, desire to, to say yes to whatever it is you're calling us to do. And God, would you remind us fresh this morning of what we have received through Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, became poor, so that in him we might become rich. Move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today, or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.